welcome. It's great to see you all. If you don't have a seat, I don't know what to say. Grab some ground. There are some seats here. Stick your hands up. There's a couple of seats around you. Why don't you just go meet some new people and sit in one of the seats there? There's one next to Curtis here. Okay. Ushers, I'm sure, will sort you out. Well, happy, well, Merry, Merry Christmas, everyone. Good to see you all. For all those that are um, part of Will of Life, obviously a warm welcome. For all those that are visiting us tonight, and especially a warm welcome. We love to have guests and visitors, and we're going to eat some mince pies with you after. But just for a short while now, I just want to share a little bit from God's Word. And so I'm going to read my glasses on because another year has gone by and I'm aging. From Isaiah chapter 9, I'm going to read from verse 5. For every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning and will be fueled for the fire. For to us a child is born and to us a son is given and the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. I've loved as we've gone through tonight and sung those Christmas carols and some of the other songs of worship. Wasn't it amazing? Some of the guys were just like outstanding. I said, John, and some of you, uh, you may not have seen that there was a choir standing on the ground. There weren't the choir, those that are left to stand for a second, so we can appreciate you as well. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Some of the choir are shy. But I've loved singing the Christmas carols, and one of those is when he stuck up for me this year, he passed the Herald Angels sing. And I want to just read the second verse of that um, song. It says, Christ my highest heaven adored, Christ the everlasting Lord. Late in time, behold him come, offspring of a virgin womb, veiled in flesh, the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity. Please, as man with man could dwell, Jesus, our Emmanuel. And uh, I was just, Linda and I were in um, Sri Lanka about a week and a half ago and sat in a B&B there and there was on the bookshelf was a book by a journalist for the Sunday Times called David Cross the seven deadly sins, and uh, strangely enough, it was about cycling. So obviously the Lord wanted to teach me something because he left the cycling book in the, in the B&B, and I was reading through it, and this, it was a very interesting book, but the guy tells a story about his son. His son's name uh, was John. He died when he was 12 years old in an accident, and he was talking about some of his development as a journalist and why he'd come to this place where he was jogging in his pursuit of the truth. And he spoke about how his son was one of those boys that would grow up to be, I'm sure, one of those men that wouldn't just accept stuff at face value. He, he wanted to question it all the time until he was sure that what he saw was the truth. And at one time, he was an Irish boy, and so he was a good Catholic, and they were going through the, obviously, the, the nativity story, and uh, he put his hands up in school, and he took his hand, he asked the teacher, he says, man, there's something I've got to ask you, and I wasn't going to do this in Irish accent, but I, I think I won't. Um, he said to the teacher, if they were so poor, what could they do with all of the, the gold that was given to them? And he's one of those who's tracking down like a politician. What did they do with the money? You know? And I've got some thoughts about why um, those gifts were given to them. Probably
think because they would have to flee off to Egypt to avoid Herod's um, reign of terror against his children, and that was supernatural provision to take care of them. But I, I do like just asking the tough questions. I, I don't think the stupid needs the scripture just so accepted that, oh, that's what it is. It obviously makes sense. Think about it and, and break it open. But I wouldn't start the question like, what did they do with the gold? And that's a who cares kind of question. Maybe they bought themselves a couple of new donkeys. I don't know. But I tell you the question I would ask is, why did Jesus have to come in the flesh in the first place? This word incarnation, which means that he took on flesh, he took on human form. The big question is, why did he have to do that? I was listening to a conservative commentator, a Jewish man by the name of Ben Shapiro, a little while ago, talking about um, how he saw Christ. And uh, he was um, he was making the point that the Jews were not didn't see the Messiah in the same way that Christians see the Messiah. That in his opinion, and I think this is partially true, but it's still a wrong view, especially if you take the Old Testament scriptures account. That they point of view, what they were looking for was a political Messiah. Someone that would come and liberate them from the political oppression that they were under. And then just this Friday, I was at the end of my sermon, I met a lovely lady here, and we got talking a little bit and was asking where she was from and was put into part of the church in the country that she came from. And she said, yes, she's a part of the Christian Science Church. And so I said to her, well, and what do, you, what do you believe? What do you think you believe that is different to what we believe in what we preach? She goes, no, no, we believe the same thing. We believe in God and we believe in Jesus. We just don't believe that mankind ever fell or that they ever sinned. And so Jesus has come, the Christian scientists, not to come and save us from our sin, not to die on the cross in our place, but he has come just to remind us of what we've forgotten, that we actually are made in the image of God. And so there's all sorts of ideas we can have about this Jesus and why he came, and we actually need to go back to what he said and what the Bible says about him and what was prophesied about him, as I read earlier on from Isaiah, to understand why is it that he came. Matt, when he was speaking a couple of weeks ago, said something. He said it fairly well, but I've perfected it. He said, he invented it and I perfected it. He said this. He said this, something like this. It wasn't this good, but this is sort of what it would have sounded like. The danger of Christmas is that it allows us to divorce the cradle from the cross. It allows us to come to the cradle and not have to come to the cross of Jesus Christ. Christmas is wonderful and beautiful, but somehow we can, we can have a Christmas that is sweet and like mince pies and inoffensive and, and doesn't confront us. And we can all walk away from Christmas and go, man, wasn't that just fantastic? We had the family over, we got to hike and eat, and family of leftovers, and Christmas is amazing. But actually, Christmas should confront us as well. Because Jesus didn't come and uh, take on human form to be a political Messiah. He didn't come to be a profound teacher that would have amazed even the Greeks. And he didn't even come to be revealed as heaven's king. And, and I think that's probably the reason why whenever he does those amazing miracles, and he said to people like I preached last week, don't tell anyone else about me. It wasn't his purpose to be crowned as king yet. The purpose he came, the reason he came, was that he might be the perfect and final sacrifice to pay for our sin. And friends, if we are yet to be saved, that actually is idea that we need to have a Savior. He doesn't come to be king. He was that already. He doesn't come to receive praise. He has that 
and was born simply to be our perfect sacrifice. His birth was not accidental, it wasn't random, it was so clearly choreographed by God in heaven. In Hebrews 2 verse 17 it says of the Jesus that he was made like his brothers in every way. And so he was born of a virgin, that was not, not like any of us, but he was born of a woman like all of us. And he grew up as a child of toddler and then a child and then a young man. He went through puberty. He gets, he gets hungry. He gets tired. He gets tempted. He feels pain. I'm sure there must have been pain when uh, we don't care how, but when Joseph left from his life and his pain when he was beaten and all those sort of things. He understood rejection and betrayal and every emotion and temptation and difficulty that we can face. We have a Savior that understands it because he was made like us in one remarkable way. And that was that he, he was not the offspring of Adam. He was not tainted by death because he was born of a virgin. Every generation has inherited a sinful nature from the first man, Adam. And this is the most empirically verifiable fact on the face of the earth. I, I'm stunned when I hear things go on in the world around us. It is an indictment against what we call civilization. In fact, I was saying to a lady the other day, sisters involved in another country trying to stop the human trafficking. I said, isn't that the worst blight on this generation, this enlightened generation, this intelligent, this civilized generation, and yet there is more slavery today than in any time. And the reason is because new social systems and new education systems and new this or that cannot change us. We are sinful by nature. There's a different kind of change. Scripture tells us the same thing. In Romans 5 verse 12, it says that sin entered the world through one man, Adam, and death through sin. And in this way, death came to all men because all sinned. And early on in Romans 3 verse 3, Paul writes and says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So number one, we need a Savior, but our Savior cannot be tainted with the same sin that we carry. And so Jesus, Jesus' lineage is actually divine. It's sinless. The seed from heaven comes into the, the womb of the woman. And I was going to play a video of this baby kind of growing in the womb. Because isn't it this miracle that takes place? I mean, every single person sitting there is a miracle. But how much more when God's divine seed goes into the woman and, and uh, it grows in this God-man that is Jesus Christ? There is no in him. There was no inward bent towards sin. Jesus was never in thought, in attitude, or deed ever sin. And it, it wasn't just like so he could kind of get his no sin badge on and his scout suit. It, it wasn't for that purpose. It was a preparation that was necessary for him to be that perfect and necessary sacrifice. He was also, as he came out of that room, fully God and fully man. He is. God the Creator, born as a child. And so his death, when they finally came 30 years later, is not comparable to any death by any man or woman that has laid their life down for another before that time or since that time, because in his death, God himself died in our place that we might have eternal life. I have had the privilege of driving in John's Ferrari, which is not John's, it's just how you use of it for a month. If you have not, you need to get a hold of it and get in that car. It is sensational. 
And uh, I didn't drive it because it could sink because it might have looked different after I'd driven it. But John actually is a skillful driver and took me out on the road. And um, the thing that you really want to hear when you get that car, though, is just being turned on. That's pretty much anything else. And that twin turbo V8 kicks in, and the 700 horsepower begins to scream out like a horror. Oh, that's amazing. Now, imagine somebody gave you a car like that. Oh, now, now you think, it could be this different. It won't be, but it could be this different. Now, you imagine somebody gives you a car like that, and you walk out, and you see this, this incredible, it is gorgeous, it's a car, and you walk out, and you think, oh, that's amazing. And you climb into that bucket seat, and you put your belt on, and you and you put your finger on that ignition button and you press it, waiting for that scream and nothing. You press it again and nothing. You get out, you go to the front of the car and you go to the engine but then you go to the back of the car and it's empty. And you think, what a useless car this is. They have given me a car without an engine. And if Christ had come to the cross with sin, if Christ had come to the cross as anything other than God and man together, it would be a wasted sacrifice that he had made. I've been watching a, a series by um, narrated and kind of led by Morgan Freeman called The Story of God. I think because he plays the role of God a few times in movies, he thinks now and he has a special insight into it. But it is, it is really interesting and he kind of, he, he's got no preference for any religion. He just goes through everything from all the religions. What does the religion say about creation, about um, atonement, about um, miracles, everything else, and the end time, so on and so forth. And he gets to the story about the atonement thing. And he talks about the Aztec people. Now, we, we know what took place when the Aztecs were around because Cortez wrote the course of things that he saw when he, when he came across them. And they actually would make human sacrifices to create a bridge between them and God, to appease God, to, to get God onto their side. And the story that Cortez wrote is that they made so many human sacrifices that there were rivers of blood that ran down the steps of the pyramid. And they were useless. They were absolutely useless. They could not accomplish anything because they were sinful men dying in their own sin. But Christ, who never sinned, born of a virgin, lived a sinless life with this one goal, was to go to the cross to be the perfect substitute for you and for us. And that's why he also had to be a man. Yes, he has endured all the temptations and potential of sin that all of us have gone through, so that he could be our substitute. And so as we look at this baby and as beautiful and wonderful it is, it is the idea that God has come in this way, embodied in that is all of God's redemptive promises. All of his rescue is already in this boy child, Jesus, who would grow up to be our Savior. The second thing about his sacrifice, or his his birth and his death, actually, is that it was not coerced. It was not, he was not compelled to come or to die. He was willing to come and willing to die. In Philippians 2, verse 7, Paul writes, quoting a hymn, I think, and says this, Jesus made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And in John chapter 10, verse 18, Jesus himself says this, no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. There was no one twisting his arm. There was no one saying, you have to go do this. When the Aztecs made these human sacrifices, what they would do is amongst the different Aztec tribes, they would have something called the flower wall. 
And the intent was in the war to try to win the battle with each other, but that you wouldn't kill the enemy, you would capture them so they could be the human sacrifice. And so um, they would obviously fight for their lives not to be captured in this way. But Christ never fought for his life. He willingly laid it down. He fully, in full awareness of what was coming. In, in the, the fullness of his divine glory that he eternally had existed in, and the posture of full surrender, somehow Christ, in a miraculous way, was, was um, drawn into the scene that could be placed in the womb of a woman. And he embraced all of our humanity. It goes on in the scripture in Hebrews that I quoted from earlier about him being made like us, to say, therefore he understands what we're going through. And so it doesn't matter what you face. You don't come to a God that lives in an ivory tower that has got no concept of what it means to be betrayed because he was betrayed. You don't come to God who's got no concept of what it means to be left alone, to be ridiculed, to be mocked, to be without anything, to be hungry, to be tired. You've seen all of those things. Any temptation that you face, Christ in some way has endured it and has compassion and sympathy for you in the midst of it. And we share it even in our mortality. And because of this, there is a profound act of love that comes in his birth. You see, in the coming of Christ, inherent in that was always the promise of what was to come. He came with one intent, not to be glorified, not to be magnified, all of those in his already. He came only that we might have eternal life. I love how the, the next uh, verse of Herald Angel goes when he says this, Hail the heaven-born, Prince of Peace. Hail the Son of Righteousness, light and life to all he brings, risen with healing in his wings. Born that man no more may die, born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth. What's that in conclusion? There's only one.